It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis. Jim, we're going to talk about the Fall Stars game. It's coming up on Saturday. You will be in Arizona for the broadcast on MLB Network. We're also going to talk about Victor Victor Mesa and the Marlins, what it means for that organization to get the brothers in there from Cuba. Uh, But let's start with the World Series because it just ended. The Boston Red Sox are once again the champions, fourth time in the last 15 seasons that Boston raised the banner. As we record this, they're actually wrapping up the duck boat parade in Boston as they celebrate that championship. Um, It's From a prospect standpoint, I think that's the way we should kind of talk about this because it's the Pipeline podcast. Uh, This is a team that was, you look at the core and it was built from within. It's a team with guys like Betts and Benatendi and Devers and Bogarts, whether it's international or the draft. Um, While there are some high-priced free agents, certainly David Price and, and Chris Sale was traded for, the core of this team came up through the system and was drafted by the Red Sox. Was I mean you know you got your big free agent exceptions with J.D. Martinez and David Price, but you know you can trace you know much of this team you know to the farm system. And we talked about uh, while you were uh, vacationing at the World Series, Tim, last week. Uh, <laughs> I, I use the word vacationing lightly. Uh, we talked about the 2011 draft, and I had a lot of fun writing a story about how they got you know Mookie Betts in the fifth round, but they also got Jackie Bradley Jr. as their fourth overall pick, and that was a supplemental first rounder, and they got Matt Barnes, who pitched some key relief, was their top pick in the first round, Blake Swihart, who, you know, it's funny, when I was doing this story, Tim, I, I probably dropped this line in the pot, I, I still think Blake Swihart, as a prospect, when they signed him and come through the minors, I, I never said he was going to be as good as this guy, but the tools were very reminiscent of a young Buster Posey. And it's funny, talking to people inside and outside the organization, they still think that he can be a really good big leaguer if he gets the opportunity. And he was also part of that 2011 draft on the World Series roster. And you know that draft also included Williams Jerez, who they, they traded to get Ian Kinsler. And it included Travis Shaw, who they traded away and didn't get much for uh, because you know, Thornburg's been hurt. But you know, that draft was a great draft. You know, Ben Intendi... Was it was a tremendous pick, and when they picked seventh overall in 2015, I think that's about as high as they've picked. I want to say, I know Trot Nixon was a seventh overall pick, but they haven't picked higher than that. I want to say since they took like Ken Brett second overall in 1966 or something like that. It, it, it's crazy. So they they made advantage, took advantage of that. Their international program you delivered Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers. Um, you know, like the, the lineup was almost entirely you know, homegrown, you know, with the exception of some role players here and there. And the pitching staff's kind of the flip side, but I think the pitching staff, you know, in some ways is homegrown. You can look at it because you, know, you mentioned Chris Sale. Well, you know, they, they gave up at the time. They, they had as good a farm system as anybody in baseball, and they gave up the best position prospect in baseball at the time in, in Yohan Mankata. 
the, the best you know, guy who is developing into the best pitching prospect in baseball, Michael Kopech. Luis Alexander Basabe is an exciting you know, potential five-tool center fielder, and they gave up Victor Diaz, who can throw real hard, too, uh, out of the bullpen. You know, and similarly with Craig Kimbrell, you know, they, they gave up a lot of, you know, four prospects for him, you know, uh, you know who, who could be pretty good. You know, Manuel Margot, I think Logan Allen was a sleeper in that deal, and he looks like he's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, so it, it's pretty interesting um, in that regard. And, you know, David Dabrowski, you know, it, it's interesting. You can kind of even trace some of these acquisitions, you know, back to the to the Theo Epstein regime. And the Ben Jarrington's, you know, fingerprints as GM are all over this franchise, too, and I think Ben, you know, had the kind of the weird tenure where they they won a World Series, sandwiched around some, sandwiched between some last place finishes. But I think the the other great thing that that, that Charrington did besides assembling that 2013 team was when they struggled, he resisted the temptation to trade Jackie Bradley Jr. and Mookie Betts and Raphael Devers and some of these guys for quick help. Um, he didn't do that. Hey, but I was going to say, you know, David Dabrowski, who's been there for about three years or two and a half years. You know, he did exactly what he was, you know, supposed to do, Tim. I mean, when he came in, you know, the Red Sox had this team, you know, like one of the best farm systems in baseball and some good core players in the big leagues, but they were struggling at the big league level. And, and he was brought in to, to, to turn that around, and he did. And, you know, I think it, it's funny, you know, the, you know, the old, you know, flags fly forever expression. You know, even if Michael Kopech becomes great or – you know, Logan Allen and Manny Margot lead the Padres to glory. I don't think anybody in Boston's ever going to regret those trades. Yeah, and that's the thing I think with Dombrowski is you saw what he did. Obviously, he won championship with the Marlins, but in Detroit, he was able to put together a consistent winner for a nice run there, but they never got the championship, and then he ended up leaving, and obviously now the Tigers have fallen on hard times, and it's going to be a rebuild situation. Um, but I feel like... I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I, I guess I did because I did. <laughs> but like, you know, the, the thing is, you know, I know when Dabrowski first got to Boston, you know, everybody was like, "Oh, he doesn't like prospects." Look what he did in Detroit. You know, Dabrowski did what he what the owner told him to do. You know, yep. they had an aging owner in Detroit who won a World World Series, much like you know John Henry's not aging, but he was brought into Boston. Like, look, you know, we've got all this young talent and we're not winning. You know, make something happen, and he did. But if you look earlier in his career. I mean, he built an expansion franchise, you know, granted through free agency in, high, in a lot of regards, into a championship team in the Marlins. And he also put together a lot of the foundation of that Expos team. He wasn't there by that point, but that, you know, might have won the World Series or, or at least had the best record in baseball in 1994 when there was a strike. So, I mean, he's built teams in different ways. I think sometimes fans forget, like like this narrative, oh, he doesn't like prospects, and oh, he left Detroit in a bad situation. Well, he was basically in Detroit told to win now, win now, win now, and they did a lot of winning. They just didn't win a World Series, and, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's won World Series with two different franchises, you know, several pennants, you know, won a couple pennants with the Tigers, and he did good work in Montreal. I mean, we we could be seeing David Dombrowski as a Hall of Fame executive down the line. Yeah, it kind of seems like this this title maybe puts him over the top as far as that discussion goes. What I was going to say, Jim, is um, I think the pressure was on just because fans in Boston, I think, were okay with the trades and trading away all those prospects as long as they won the championship. I think they'd. I think if it had happened in Boston like it did in Detroit, it would have looked the other way for Dombrowski. Where this guy, you know, just trades prospects and and maybe he can't win it. But having won this title, I think suddenly everybody's happy and everybody's great with those trades because, as you said, flags fly forever. But now things are going to shift a little bit. I think obviously this core is not going anywhere. 
immediately. Uh, most of these guys are, are inked for, for a number of years. I guess Bogarts will be the first one that um, after this upcoming year uh, could be a free agent. Um, so that will slowly happen. Um, but now you start to look at the farm because they're going to have to start adding more pieces in some ways over the upcoming years. And when you look at that system, it's certainly not the one that Dombrowski inherited, but there are some pieces. So when you look ahead to to maybe 2019, um, who are some guys that maybe will come up that this team needs to to come up? Because you can't just go out and sign free agents, especially with the the um, budget for this team and the salaries already at where they are way over the luxury tax. They're going to have to scale back at some point. So, yeah, I think the two main names, right, Dalbach, Chavis, are the guys that, that kind of jump out. Like you know, as much success as they had, I mean, and, and look, I mean, they had a, a, about as great a season as you could have to win 108 games and run through the second, third, and fourth best teams in baseball and go 11 and three in the playoffs. And really, oddly enough, you know, to go 11 and three, but kind of face adversity and doubts in every one of those series and just shake those off and win. Yeah. I don't think the farm system is going to really do a whole lot for them in 2019. I mean. You know, Chavis, you know, missed half the season after testing positive for PEDs, um, depending on who you talk to. And, and I know we hear this a lot. Like, I, I don't think there's a lot of belief that he had artificially enhanced power. He hit for power when he came back this year. But, you know, he's only played, you know, he played eight games in AAA this year. Um, and they, they're committed to Devers at, at third. So I think if, if he were to, you know, I think where Chavis could maybe fit in the next year's team would be first base. But he hasn't played a lot of first base. He didn't play a lot this year. You know, he's going to play in the fall league, but he had a wrist injury, so he's not going to play in the fall league. And you know, it's a little bit different. You know, I mean, when you're you know defending World Series champions, and even not if you're in Boston, where there's a lot of expectations, you got to produce. It's not like you get you know, hey, we're going to hand you the job. So you know, I, I don't know. Like I I I could see perhaps. Um, you know, Mitch Moreland's still signed for next year, um, so I think he'll still be the first baseman. And you know, I, we'll see what happens with you know Steve Pierce. I, I I didn't have Steve Pierce as my um, my World Series MVP coming into the year, or even coming into October or the World Series, but he's a free agent. Um, but then you know, I, I I don't know if there's going to be a lot of opportunity, and I just don't think there's going to be a lot of guys really pushing for spots uh, in 2019. I I think. They'll obviously be a good team next year, but I think it will in some ways be a transitional team um, from 2000, you know, 2020. I'll be, I'll be very curious to see what the team looks like two years from now because, you know, Porcello will be a free agent at that point. You mentioned Bogarts will be a free agent. They're going to have to give guys, you know, a lot of raises in arbitration. Um, you, know, they, you know, who knows if they'll bring Kimbrell back this year. Uh, as a free agent, you know he, he becomes a free agent. So, you know, I think this it, it, it's a very interesting time for the Red Sox. I mean, to have one of the greatest seasons really in the history of the sport. At the same time, very hard to imagine what this team might look like in a couple of years, especially yeah. on the pitching side. Yeah, and that's where there there isn't a lot coming up either. So it'll certainly be interesting. And and Dave Dombrowski, I'm sure, will get creative and um, he'll he'll make some moves. And this team certainly. With the ownership it has and, and all the resources and everything it has, it, it's not going away, that's for sure. All right, so that's the Red Sox. They're in good shape. They're the champs again. Let's move on to the Fall Stars game. Coming up on Saturday, Jim, you'll be out there, as I mentioned, and it's a cool event because it's it's obviously part of your 
favorite one of your favorite events, which is the Arizona Fall League. But it's the cream of the crop, so to speak, the best of the best down there in Arizona. And overall, 12 top 100 prospects will be in action. Conveniently, six on the West squad and six on the East squad. Um, and when you look back through the years of this Fall Stars game, it doesn't take long for the stars of this game to make it to the big leagues and to become pretty much Rookie of the Year candidates. No, I mean, you see that every year. I mean, you could pretty much expect that one of these guys will will be, you know, at the forefront of the Rookie of the Year race next year. I'll go on a limb and say it might be Vladimir Guerrero Jr., too. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I mean, just look at the last three years. I mean, last year, you know, we saw Ronald Acuna. He didn't homer. Yeah, I guess that was a letdown, Ronald. Come on. But uh, he singled. He, he showed off a strong arm. He did homer twice in the military appreciation game that I did a week later. Uh, in, in 2016, Cody Bellinger homered. He goes out the next year. He hits a 39 homers to a National League rookie record. And in 15, we saw Gary Sanchez homer, and he threw out a base stealer. And then the next year, he became the first big leaguer ever to hit 20 homers in his first 51 games. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, my friends I know, big baseball fans, like going through withdrawal now this time of year because the World Series is over. But you don't need to go through withdrawal yet. You're going to get a an Arizona Fall League game broadcast each of the next three Saturdays. You, you got this game, you got the military appreciation game, and then you got the championship game. And this game's just fun because you're going to see a lot of good prospects. I, mean, I think the hitters, as they usually are, are, are stick out more than the pitchers in, in Arizona Fall League. Although that said, we do have the best pitching prospect in baseball. Force Whitley will be in the game. Um, so, I mean, you, you, it'll, it'll be fun. So there's no reason for – if you're lamenting the loss of, of Major League Baseball, watch this game on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Arizona time. You're going to see a number of players in this game who are going to make an impact in the big leagues next year. Of the 12 top 100 prospects in the game, 10 of them are position players. You mentioned Guerrero Jr., Keston Hiura, the second baseman from the Brewers, Kiebert Ruiz with the Dodgers, the catcher, uh, Luis Robert, the outfielder with the White Sox, Esteban Florial of the Yankees, the outfielder, and Christian Pache of the, Do- of the Braves, another outfielder. Those guys all on the West, the East squad. You mentioned Whitley, he's on there, and the other pitcher, John Duplantier of the D-backs is on that team as well. Two Mets. Jim, two Mets in this game that are both top 100 guys, Andres Jimenez and Peter Alonso, and then you have Taylor Trammell, a friend of the podcast, and Carter Keyboom of the Nationals. So a lot you, of guys You didn't guys get Peter there. Alonso a friend of the podcast either? Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Multiple He's friends. He's going to be hurt if he listens to this. <laughs> And we love Peter Alonzo. Yeah, absolutely, uh, as well. So um, some some great guys there. Of those guys, you mentioned Guerrero, and obviously he's done what we expected him to do in the Arizona Fall League. Um, these are the top 100 guys. Is there, an, is there a guy outside of that list that's going to be in this game that's really stood out so far this fall? Um, You know, I'm going to have to think about that for a second because it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's the game's a little bit odd in that they don't – pick the game necessarily based on performance. A lot of it's based on on prospect status yeah. in a way. I mean, I'll tell you a guy who I really like, who I think people don't really know that much about, but I think he's one of the best catching prospects in baseball, and he's having a great fall, is Dalton Varsho. Mm-hmm. Gary Varsho's kid, he's named after the after Darren Dalton. Um, Dimebacks drafted him out of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, which is obviously not a, a baseball hotbed last year. And a real good pro debut, and he's got kind of uncommon tools for catcher. He can really hit. He's a plus runner, uh, even though he's a catcher. Um, he's got more kind of gap power. Um, you know, and the question on him was he moves well behind the plate, but, like, the arm's kind of fringy. But they, but they have worked with him. The Dimex have worked with him to kind of 
you know, use his athleticism and quickness to speed up his transfer release and, and the arm plays. But but he's a guy who who really kind of is interesting. And then a guy to kind of keep your eye on because he's having a great fall. Melvin Adon in the Giants organization, who's interesting. He's probably the hardest, one of the hardest throwers. He can, he can run up to triple digits, but he's making progress. You know, they're using him in relief, which is probably his long-term role in Arizona. And the last time I checked, I think it's something like 19 or 20 strikeouts and a little bit less than 10 innings, only giving up three hits. He, he's working on more of a two-seamer, and he's really shown a nasty slider. So we'll, we'll get to see him as well. And Jordan Yamamoto is maybe another pitcher who flies under the radar. Uh, Marlins got him in the Christian Yelich trade from the Brewers. He was kind of the, the probably the fourth most well-known of the four players they got. And, you know, he's got, you know, good fastball, good curveball, throws strikes. Uh, he, he's got to keep an eye on as well. Who's on the call with you on Saturday night, Jim? You know, you keep asking me these tough questions. I believe, <laughs> I believe it's Scott Braun and Joe McGrain um, with MLB Network. I, I will stick to that for now. But um, I, I'm kind of late pinch hitter for, for Jonathan Mayo on this broadcast, so I am not exactly sure who I'm doing the game with. All right, one more thing I wanted to get to, and that is I, I don't think you and Jonathan spoke about this on the podcast last week, but we talked about it two weeks ago when it looked like it was kind of a looming thing, and that is that the Marlins did indeed swoop in and get the Mesa brothers, Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. Um, and with this move, I mean, whether or not it's true, it feels like suddenly this Marlins organization has some direction just because – you kind of have these young Cuban players in Miami. They're they're hopefully going to help be the future of this organization. And it seems like this is the direction Derek Jeter has wanted to go in. And this move, these signings are maybe a springboard towards what we're going to see in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a statement. And look, I mean, the, the Cuban market, it, it's a tricky market because – you know, there, there's always, you know, this goes back to my early days of Baseball America when, when Ray Arocha and the other guys first started to defect. And there's always this mystique. And sometimes the mystique, you know, clouds how good these guys are. And even you can look in recent years, you know, are, you know, when you sign a Cuban, are you getting Jose Abreu or, or, or Yohannes Cespedes or Yasiel Puig? Or are you getting Yasmani Tomas or, or you know, Rolando Baldequin with the Angels, or Rusne Castillo with the Red Sox. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys who've gotten big money and a flop too. But I think it's a statement. You know, you know, the Marlins went out. They went out and acquired extra international money so they could have a little bit more than the Orioles. You know, they had the appeal of the Cuban community to try to lure these guys. And I and I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you sign these guys primarily for their talent. You know, and Mesa's interesting. Um, you know, th- there are some questions on the bat. You know, I don't think anybody questions his ability to run and throw and play center field. But he's not a, a slam-dunk, can't-miss bat guy by any means. But I think if you don't sign these guys, then it kind of leads to questions like, well, look, if you, you, know, you, you had more money than anybody else, you have the Cuban, you know, you know community, you know, how do you not sign these guys? And I will say, I mean, look, I mean, anybody who's listened to the podcast knows I, I did not love the trades they made last offseason. I, I didn't think they got enough for Gene Carlos Stanton. I didn't think they, they – they, I think they, they backed themselves in the corner that they didn't have to back themselves into. I, I didn't love the Ozuna trade. I like the Yelich trade a little bit more than those. But – I mean, I don't think there's any question that, you know, the system's a lot better than it used to be. It was one of the worst systems in baseball uh, a year ago, you know, that they put an emphasis on, you know, trading veterans and getting talent and adding talent through the draft in any way they can. Now, all that said, you know, yes, the, the, the system, the arrow is pointing up. I, I still don't think it's a top, 
10 system in baseball. You know, maybe top 15 might even be pushing it, but it, it is better. But you also have a, a horrible big league club that almost lost 100 games this year. And, you know, I'm looking at the club. I mean, you, you got JT Real Muto. Okay, look, that guy's great. You know, other position players who are cornerstones. You know, Brian Anderson had a solid rookie year. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to bat him in the middle of your lineup. Lewis Brinson's tooled up, but he hit 199. Uh, those are kind of the three long-term hitters in your lineup, and the pitching is similarly kind of, you know, in the process of trying to figure out what they have. I mean, this is a big league club with a lot of holes. So while I, I do think, you know, they had to, in some ways they had to sign Victor Mesa, and it's a great signing. He, he alone and all the guys they've brought in, you know, they've got an awful lot of holes to fill. And, and you know, we, we've both, you know, we've covered prospects. We've talked about prospects. We do it every week. You know, I, I, we love prospects as much as anybody, but, you know, prospects aren't sure things. And, you know, you can't count on guys. You know, not every prospect, you know, Victor Mason, Amante Harrison, and Sandy Alcantara, and Nick Nieder, and on and on and on and on, Connor Scott, Jorge Guzman, every one of these guys is not going to reach his ceiling and be as good as the Marlins hoped. Um, so, you, you know, I think they still have a lot more work to do. And you mentioned Riel Muto, and, and maybe he's not a long-term cornerstone of this franchise because his agent came out uh, on Tuesday and actually announced that he's not planning on, he he's not going to re-sign with the Marlins, basically. And then that puts the pressure on them um, with two years to go. Do they trade him now? Do they wait to trade him? That's going to be something interesting as well. The Braves would love to get him, and obviously there's plenty of talent in that system, so maybe it's a chance to make that system even better, but in doing so, you're going to hurt the big league club again. So certainly, well, no, That's fine. Yeah. If you do that, that's fine, but what you need to do is not do what they did last year and say, geez, Giancarlo Stanton's contract is horrible. We've got to trade him. And then he had no trade protection, and they were limited. You know, I know they worked out a deal or two that that he didn't approve, and they traded to the Yankees. And and look, you know, Jose Devers has improved. You know, he's 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 been better. You know, Jorge Guzman's got a live arm. He struggled some this year, but I'll still maintain. And people can tell me, you know, disagree with me. If you kept Giancarlo Stanton, which they weren't going to do, but let's just say you waited until you got a good deal. He would not have opted into the back end of his contract. He wouldn't have wanted to stay there. So it wasn't like you were locked in to the full length of his contract. It was really you had two more years you were going to be on the hook for before he would have gone and become a free agent and gotten paid. And what they should do, and this is what they should do with JT Real Muto, and yes, it does make sense. They probably should trade him because they're not going to be ready to win for three or four years. He's eligible for free agency after 2020, and they're probably not going to be ready to win then. Plus, he's a catcher. And, you know, he's going to be 30, 29 or 30 when he's a free agent, and catchers don't age well. So it probably doesn't make sense for them to just pay him, you know, the contract he deserves when he becomes a free agent. So they should trade him. But here's what they should do. They should go back and look at the trades Rick Hahn has made with the White Sox when he traded Chris Sale, who we talked about, when he traded Adam Eaton. Uh, you know, when, he, when he's made those trades, when he, when he traded – you know, Jose Quintana to the Cubs, forget Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. You know, look, and look, you know, some of the guys, you know, the Nationals trade doesn't look as one-sided as it did at the time, you know, in terms of prospects. But, but their strategy in those deals was basically if you want these guys, you know, Chris Sale was, you know, the lead pitcher with the best contract in the game. There probably wasn't a better player in terms of co- a combination of talent and, and friendliness of contract. And, 
you know, he basically told teams, you know, this way, well, like, I know the Braves made a run at him. He told the Braves, I think they wanted Dansby Swanson. And if we aren't going to get Dansby Swanson, we're not going to trade him. And, and I think that's what they need to do with JT Real Muto. Instead of saying, hey, if it comes to this, we've got to trade JT Real Muto. You know, it's not going to make sense to go to arbitration, and we're not ready to win. And, boy, the, the old owners just left us a terrible franchise. We've got to get rid of him. Don't do that. You could put him on the block, but instead of saying, oh, we'll take what we can get for him because we've got to get rid of him, you tell you you go to the Braves and you say this is what it's going to take for JT Real Muto. Now you may not get all of it, but you know don't settle for less than you want. Don't just take scraps or, or just don't take you know one prospect and whatever you can get for the guy. Go to the Braves and say okay, you know this, this is what we want. You know I, I, I'm just going to throw out three names. I'm making them. I'll pretend I'm a. Uh, I, I'm the I'm the Marlins, but you know, go to them. the Braves have a million pitchers. So okay, you know what we want Kyle Wright. Austin Riley, because you guys got Camargo at third. We want Christian Pache. We want those three guys. You know, or, I mean, you know, maybe they could talk me down from Christian Pache to Drew Waters, who's pretty good too. And you know, maybe I'll I'll get another fourth prospect thrown in. But but that's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna just sit there and and have teams say, uh, you know, like like when you're trading Gene Carlos Stanton, you get one guy who was on our Yankees top 30 list and a guy in the GCL, and that's okay because that's not okay. They, they undersold Stanton, so. I'm getting riled. I wasn't even expecting to get riled up, Tim, but I've gotten riled up. Uh, mission accomplished for me, I guess. Then I, I guess. Don't ask me about the runner on second base and, and extra <laughs> innings. One is that a rule in the Fall Stars game? You know, I, that, that's a good question. You're, you keep stumping me. They, they use it during the regular season in the fall league, which to me is silly because you already have the Robinson rule, where a game can't go more than eleven innings anyway. Right. Um, I don't know, and I don't know. Like what the provision is, because you only have, I think, nine pitchers on each side for the Fall Stars game. I guess if it's tied late, the managers will need to be judicious. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, about how they use their pitchers instead of bringing them in to get an out or two. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we've had that situation yet. All right. Let's hope we don't, because we don't need that. For you don't sure. need to hear me getting angry on no. here about how bad the rule is. One more thing on the Marlins and, and the Mesas. Uh, Victor, Victor, number one prospect now for the Marlins. Uh, Victor Mesa Jr. not in the top 30, which I think is more because he's a an unknown um, guy for the most part. I mean, he's only 17 years old. We don't really know much about him. Could he be a guy that once he is uh, seen a little more, Jim, he could kind of make a big splash into that top 30 um, and, and jump in somewhere in the middle once we know a little more about Victor Mesa Jr.? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say I think he's 17 and – you know, the, the, the bat's a question to some extent with both of these guys. You know, he, he sounds similar to Victor Victor. He just doesn't have the track record. Um, it hasn't been seen as much against the, the same competition that Victor Victor's been seen at. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't envy – I think Mike Rosenbaum does the Marlins. I can't I, – instead of – I think it's Mike instead of Jonathan. I know I, know yeah. I don't do our list. But the, the Cuban guys are hard to rank – because, like I said, when one, I mean, Jesse Sanchez covers the international guys like we cover the draft. So it's not like if it were me, it's not like I've talked to a bunch of people about Victor, Victor Mesa or Victor Mesa Jr., because that's Jesse's domain. And then, two, like I said, there's just so much mystique surrounding these guys. You kind of have to cut through that, too. So it's just, it's. It's interesting, but um, but yeah, I think he does have the upside. I mean, obviously, he got a I think a million dollar bonus, or right around a million dollars. But uh, you know, you, that that said, and he does have talent. It wouldn't be the first time that you signed somebody's brother so you could sign the guy you really wanted to. 
Certainly, the package deal factor, uh, I'm certain, was was in play for sure. All right, well, that's it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast, Jim. Thanks for jumping in again, and, and tremendous job for you. Good luck this weekend with the uh, Fall Stars game. I know you'll do a great job on the broadcast. Well, thanks, and it's uh, I, I don't know how many weeks it's been since all three of us have been together. I think it's been three weeks, but uh, we, we should all be together next week, I hope. Yeah, the playoffs are over, so uh, we'll get back into that, that normal off-season rhythm for sure. All right, for Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in to the Pipeline Podcast. <laughs>